If you would turn with me to James, James chapter 5. In the New Testament, way back at the back of, uh, of your Bible, uh, next, close at least to uh, Revelation, right behind he- Hebrews. Turn to James chapter 5, and we're going to look at one verse. And it's a powerful verse. It's one we want to spend a little time on this morning. should have a copy of Scripture there in front of you, uh, in, in the basket in front of you, if you don't have a Bible with you. Look here at James chapter 5, and we're going to start with uh, just verse 16 here. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So let us pray. Jesus, thank you that we have the ability to speak to you, to know you, and to receive from you. May we do that today. May this become a house of prayer, we pray in your name. Amen. For too long, many of us have been Christian in name only. Nominal, as we say. That is, being something in name only. You've got the name, but not the reality. Not really, in other words. Just a title without any kind of real Christ living in you. Like a dad who isn't really a daddy or an employee with a badge who really doesn't have a job. You ever seen somebody like that get fired? This is name only. This is what we call nominal. And... Some of us have been in church, I include myself in this, 10, 20, 30, 40 plus years maybe. But you really could have fooled some people. I mean, if church is a place to be sanctified, holy, to be made right with Christ, boy, it doesn't look like it's working for some of us. Or maybe we're not working. By now you should be teaching, mentoring, creating things, managing, helping, being missional, giving generously, and so on and so forth. And instead you still need milk, what Paul says. You still need a diaper change. You're still in the nursery when you should be out serving, should be going. And instead we're complaining, we're whining, we're babbling, we're tattling, we're gossiping. Being a busybody with everything of our business and everybody else's business, but the business of the kingdom. And as many sermons as I have heard and worship services that I've been a part of, you think now some of us should be angels. Uh, Some of you are angels, actually. You are. But many of us still have a long way to go. But we were never created to be angels, were we? No. But we were made to be holy, called to be holy, 
The Bible says, be holy for I am holy, says the Lord. And without holiness, no one, no one will see the Lord. So let's grow up. All of us, let's grow up. There are some things that really make God mad. And one of those things is complaining. He said, how do you know that? Well, if you ever read the Old Testament, God gets really mad about complaining, about whining. You remember the children of Israel? They're out there whining. God's given them all these things, right? He's delivered them. <laughs> He's providing manna from above. He's giving them water in the desert where there is no water, out of a rock. And yet they complain, they whine, just like my kids. I give them water, I give them food, I give them shelter, I give them all these things. They have things that I could only have dreamed of having. And yet they whine, yet they complain. And doesn't it make you angry? It should. I think you're in good company because God gets angry about whining, about complaining. He does. This is not maturity, but childishness. And although we are to have the faith of a child, we are not to be childish. The scripture never calls us to childishness. But instead, maturity, holiness, to grow up. God wants you to grow up. He wants me to grow up. Grow up into Christ. Notice what Ephesians 4.15 says. Rather, speaking the truth in love... Truth hurts sometimes, right? It must always be spoken in love. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. God wants you to grow up into Jesus Christ our Lord. But how can we grow up? How can we not just take on the name of Christian, but really be Christian. Just like being a part of a well-known family, but not really being up to stature. We find ourselves there. I find myself there. We tend toward nominalism. We tend toward inaction. We tend toward, we lean toward complaining, whining. But there is a solution. The scripture gives us this solution in James. And James is one of these, I mean, if you've ever read James, you kind of feel like you go away a little bit beat up. He has a couple verses in there that really, it's like somebody just knees you in the leg. You're like, ah, do I do that with my tongue? Do I talk about people like that? And here he says something very profound and hard. And that is, not just get some alone time with God and confess sin, but confess your sins one to another and pray for one another. You see, the end of nominalism is confession. So the beginning of the end of being just name only Christian is confession. Saying, I am still very immature, Lord, in certain ways. Doing well over here. (laughs) 
Hey, can you look at this? It's kind of like my dad always wanted to notice the things I was doing well. He never did. Maybe he did, but he never said so. Instead, it was always the one thing you get wrong, right? Well, I am immature in certain things in the ways of Christ. I don't think like him all the time. My mission in life doesn't always line up with what he's doing in the world. For he never stops working in those around us, does he? But we do. We give up. We fall short. I do. The scripture says he always makes intercession for us. There are areas that we need to grow up. Grow more Christ-like in our attitudes. I mean, God even wants down to our attitudes to be His. Our mind, our desires, our dreams, our goals. Goals for our life, goals for our children, goals for our family planning. He wants them to be His. Because only His goals will last. For only His kingdom will last, not mine. Nothing I'm building in the bank is going to last. Nothing I'm building here on this earth, plaque or diploma or piece of paper will last. But His name will last for eternity. His word will last forever. His mission will be fulfilled. And we get invited into that mission. And he's only going to do it through the church. That's the only way. <laughs> I mean, you know, I didn't think it up. It was his idea. And he died, the scripture says, for the church. For his bride. He laid his life down for his bride. It's why I always hesitate before I talk nasty about someone in church to someone else. Or it's why I hesitate to even talk about other denominations that I may theologically disagree with. Because this is Christ's body. May not always look like I want it to. May not always run like I want it to or function the ways I think it should. But this is Christ's holy church. And we should pause before we begin to throw the darts of accusation or complaining and whining. So, we're starting a series called Nominal No More. <laughs> May not want to come back. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> We'll be talking about the basics of our faith. Sometimes you just have to go back to the basics. Sometimes you're on the team, but it just doesn't feel like it. You're not participating. And God wants us all to be in action with Him. Wherever that is and whatever that may mean. And I don't know, I don't have that answer. He leads the church. I try to listen and communicate what he wants me to do 
but there's no way I or any other person can do everything that needs to be done. It's why we're called the body of Christ. And some have very visible roles in the body. And Paul will say something like this about those roles. Those are the least sometimes. Those are the weakest ones that are up front. Those guys are the weakest. Because he says this of himself. And we need people who are up front. And we need people who are supporting those who are up front. That are actually stronger than the ones who are speaking to everyone. This is the way Christ has designed his church. It's a fascinating thing, isn't it? It's a mystery. And it's his design. And therefore it is perfect. You see, here's the reality we all need to confess, don't we? It's good for the soul to confess. What is truly, this is one of Wesley's favorite, John Wesley's favorite questions. What's the true state of your soul? When's the last time someone looked you in the eyes and said that? When's the last time you allowed someone to say that? I really believe that God wants to raise up a network of people in this church, in this room even, that will break even our small groups down to smaller units. We need mentoring. We need people to say, you know what, I'm going to invest in three different people and I'm going to ask them this question, what's the state of your soul? Thanks be to God... I have people in my life that I intentionally place there who ask me this question. Who I confess sin to. When I was in seminary, I saw a great need for this in my own life. And I went and got one of my best friends and I said, dude, you've got to help me, man. This is not going the way I want it to go. I'm, I'm not going the way I need to be going in my head, everything is great. I know, I know quite a bit about God, more than the average bear. But you know what? That doesn't mean anything. I can know everything there is to know about this lady right here, my wife, Jessica. But if at home, I'm mistreating her. If when away, I'm being unfaithful to her. What does knowledge mean? Nothing. It's not love. This is why the scripture doesn't just call us to know about God. No. Love God with all of your heart. All of your soul. All of your everything. We are called to love God. The scriptures say that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And by lack of confession, we make God a liar. Because either that's true or not. Either it is true that we fall short, or we're lying to God and to others. That's, this is why we must regularly confess our sins and our faults. There is a difference. We all have faults that are never going to go away. Personality defects, whatever. 
people, you know, just like getting hangry. That's, I mean, that's not, that's just sort of a fault. I was given that. You know what hangry means? Some people are looking at me like, what? I mean, when, I'm, when I get hungry, I get a little edgy, you know, with people. You know, it's Jessica. <laughs> She's like, you need to eat something. When I eat something, I'm a brand new person. Now, is that sin dwelling in me? No, it's just a physical defect in my body, but I need to be aware of it because it can turn into sin. Faults. Just defects of our body can turn into sin. They're not necessarily sin by themselves, but if I get edgy with somebody and they come and say, hey, man, you really hurt me. I don't care. I was angry. Well, now we've crossed the line. So we need to confess not only our sin, but also where we fall short. And don't we fall short? I know I do. God has been so patient with me that it's ridiculous. I'm not kidding. Ridiculous. Embarrassingly patient with me. Now with other people, we can see it, can't we? Oh yeah, they need to confess. I'm thinking about five people right now that need to confess sin. I'm thinking about 20 people right now that need to confess some faults in their life. They can't see it. It's like a blind spot. They're hurting people around them. They don't even know it. We can see it in others, but until God's mirror is held up to us, we'll never see it in ourselves. This is why it's so important to dive into His Word, to look into the mirror of His Word. James talks about this mirror in James 1.23. It's interesting that others can see our faults. Others can see our mistakes and sins. God can see them, but it is difficult for us to. Maybe it's because we don't want to. We're eager, Jesus says, to get the speck or the splinter out of somebody else's eye. Hey, let me grab that for you. It's like you got a little, little speck in your eye. A splinter. But Jesus says, all the while we have a telephone pole. Hanging out of our own eye. Shouldn't this give us pause, friends, when we deal with those who have fallen into sin? Rather than kick them when they're down or blow them up on Facebook or whatever media outlet you have for talking about other people, shouldn't it give us pause to look at our own life And see how patient God has been. See how many times we've had to come before the throne of grace. How many times other people have been gracious to me. I don't deserve it. And yet, they have. She has. Y'all have been. My family has been. It's easy to bounce around and nobody know you. It's hard to let people get to know you. Because we all have it. We've all got those areas. And rather than run away, I would say to you what James says to us. Confess it. Don't run away from it again. Don't keep running. Confess. Confess your sins one to another. Grow up and confess. So, what is confession? Well, my dad, just this week, still pastoring me, still teaching me in the faith, He said this, which I love. He said, confession is just simply agreeing with God about what we've done and who we've become. 
He told this to someone who was confessing sin this week and weeping before God and me and my dad and three others and pouring out their soul, bearing their soul to us. And I watched as God delivered them in that room about 10 o'clock at night in Decatur. What a beautiful thing to see someone weeping and able to be honest. We do everything to not be honest. We cover it all up. Reminds me of going all the way back to the garden, doesn't it? As soon as we sin, what do we do? Cover it up. So do you agree with God? Do you agree that we have room to confess? I know I do. God's not somebody you really want to disagree with. I think God's meme online would be, I'm not always right, but when I am, it's always. (laughs) Or maybe he would post a meme that said, I may not always be right, but I'm never wrong. I think this is true, isn't it? For the scripture says this, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know the heart? Only God can truly know the heart. That means we don't have to in the church. I don't have to try to know your heart or discern your heart. That's not my job, thankfully, because I'm not good at that kind of stuff anyway. And neither do you. You don't have to try to discern somebody's heart. We just take them as they come to us. And we treat them like a child of God, even if they don't look like one, even if they don't act like one. We take them into this family. For Jesus himself says this, we're not going to rip up the weeds. Not yet. They'll be ripped up at the end. Right now, the fruit and the weeds, the wheat and the tares will remain together. That means in the church, there's going to be some bad people. There's going to be some nasty people. There's going to be some people that are not for you. Wasn't there some in Jesus' small group? If we look close enough, we all have a tendency to be that person. You see, some people don't come to church because they've been to church. And they've seen how church people act. Let's not be that kind of church. I I really don't want any part of that. And I hope your desire is the same. I don't want to just be Christian by name. Christian because I go to church. Christian because I came to a service. God help us let this hour and a half not be the only time we worship Jesus this week. Did you know that you can worship him in your car? I love that. In the shower in the morning. What better way to start your day than with water and Jesus? Or Jesus and coffee? It's a great combo. And yet, 
There have been weeks of my life as a Christian. Being a Christian, really all my life being in the church. Deciding to follow Jesus at five years old. There have been weeks, there have been months where I really didn't worship Jesus. I just had the title, the name. But there was no love for God. There was no seeking after God. Diligently wanting His way in me. And and this is why a message like this is for everybody. is because we all tend to run ashore. And we must not. We must continue to go deeper. Somebody prayed that this morning. God, let us go deeper into you. Because I'm telling you, you're not going to reach the bottom of God. So let's not look back. Let's not look back at what has been. But look ahead at what can be and what will be if we give ourselves to God. For He alone can help. And He's so patient. Ridiculously patient with us. There is no other God that has ever been written about in human history that is as embarrassingly patient with humans as God is. Everybody else is pushing the nuke option. Jesus, what does he do? He doesn't come to wipe everybody out, but instead to die for everyone on a cross. That we still remember today, that can be a cross for you. You see, he didn't just do it for the whole world, he did it for you. He must not die just for the whole world, but for you He must resurrect, not just for the whole world, but for you, in you. It must be materialized in you. He must come to live in you. E. Stanley Jones said, I love this. He said, God has no grandchildren. You cannot ride in on the faith of your parents. It has to become your faith You have to become his son and daughter. Not two steps removed. Right there, the son, the daughter of God. That's what he's calling you to. That's that's the only thing he's calling you to. He doesn't want you just to wear the name badge. There's more to it than that. So when's the last time you confessed? When's the last time that you wept over your sin? I had to confess while that fellow was confessing that night because it had been so long since I confessed sin. Confessed my faults to God and wept over what could have been and what should have been. When's the last time we wept over our family or the sin of our city or the sin of our nation? And world. We just got out of Daniel. Didn't he do that? Didn't he set a pattern? Didn't Jesus come into Jerusalem? Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The city that slays the prophets. And he wept over the city. We're called to love our city we live in. We're all guilty of this, of course. It's kind of like the two inmates... 
looking at another inmate. And one of them says to the other, what I can't stand about that guy is his guiltier than thou attitude. In prison, everybody's guilty. And in this life, the scripture says, everybody is guilty. And we must confess that and make sure we're not covering it up. The first step in the 12-step program of AA is to admit that you're an addict. Admit you're out of control. Admit you can't do it. In other words, confess it. How many of us have really ever truly confessed our sins? I mean, our past sins. Living together before we were married. Sometimes it just gets pushed under the rug. Oh, well, now we're married, so everything's right. What about the times we've lied to people? What about the times that we've made life difficult for others just for the fun of it? It's crazy, but people do that. I never have understood it. I know I make life difficult, not meaning to, but some people do it on purpose. How many times have we failed to be who God has called us to be or speak to someone about Jesus and witness I can't tell you the times I've missed opportunities. It ought to sadden us. But a lot of times it gets, gets swept under the rug. We just move on. Let's confess those things. Jesus is ready to forgive. He wants to forgive us. But if we don't open up, how can He? If we're not willing to give Him the knife... How can he protect us? Some of us have grown cold in our love for God. But it doesn't have to be like that. Some of us are crashing into the rocks on the shore. We're making shipwreck of our faith. Some of us have a secret life. Some of us are holding grudges. Others of us... are living in the shadow of what we could be in Christ. And that too is disobedience. Just doing the bare minimum, that's not what he's called us to do. But instead to be a living sacrifice, everything on the altar. We must be children of the day, sober-minded, not bringing shame to ourselves and our family, but honor. Honoring God and others. And bringing glory in everything we do to God. Instead of blaming others, as we did in the garden, as we do all the time. Well, it's this fault, it's that, it's it's so and so. My kids, every time I accuse them of something, well, it was Baylor. He made me do it. It was Bo, he made me do it. It was the neighbor kid. They made me do it. No. It's the hardest lesson to learn, but you are in control of yourself. And you got to take responsibility because you chose to get mad and start throwing things. Yeah, they did you wrong, but you chose to go further than that. And that's where sin is crouching at the door. Some of us, it's wealth. 
It's crazy, but wealth is not something that's just great and grand in the Bible. Instead, there's always a warning attached. Now, there's nothing wrong with making money. The Bible is not saying don't make a lot of money. It says don't keep a lot of money. Give it away. You make a lot of money, that's fantastic. Praise God. More power to you. More money to you. But don't keep it for yourself. That's foolishness. Instead, let's be like God and be gracious. Gracious with what we have. Gracious with what he's given to us, for it is not our own. Don't blame others. Don't cover it up like our first parents did. Don't dodge it with diverting or rerouting the discussion. My kids try to do that, right? I mean, someone accused of murder will gladly tell you that they stole something in Texas. Let's not try to divert, but get down to the core and confess it. The fruit of your life, there's a root, and that root must be pulled up. It's not enough when I'm de-weeding my flower bed just to nip off the top of the weeds. They'll come back in just a few hours, it seems like. Instead, you got to get it by the root. i got to find that root, dig on down in there, especially that Bermuda grass. You know how it makes those little strength. got to get all that up. I'm, I'm going to find the root. And God wants to find the root of your problem, the root of my problem, which a lot of times goes straight down to pride, straight down to the self, straight down to our carnal nature. And our carnal nature dies when we confess it. That's the beginning of the end. But we must be willing to confess our sins. To God, yes, and to one another, James says. Now, not just any old body. Please, don't stand up and tell us everything that you've done. But instead, to someone who cares about you with the love of Christ and is concerned about restoring you to God and to other people. If you don't know who to trust, come to me. I can point you in the direction of someone who maybe could, maybe you could trust, maybe you could learn to trust. You don't have to start off with the heavy stuff. You can start off with some light stuff and see how it goes. But Wesley had a nice way of having both society meetings, class meetings, and then bands. And the bands were the most intimate forms of this confession. Know your disease, know your cure. Know who cures us from sinfulness and selfishness. He cannot heal the well. He cannot forgive the sinless. He cannot resurrect the living. That's why we're called to confess our sin, to die to ourself, and to know our disease and know how it permeates everything we try to do. The good news today is He can heal us if we want Him to. He can make a way where there seems to be no way. Is the Lord's arm short to save? No, it's not. Hear this prayer as we end. Teach me, Lord, the way 
of your decrees that I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands for there I find delight. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servant so that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread for your laws are good. How I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, preserve my life. Amen.